0: Professors FM. Analytics with Mike Lewis. The podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome. Uh, What I want to talk about today is... What I'm considering the big story in the NFL, uh, this this preseason, and that is the Ezekiel Elliott holdout. Now, and now just this morning, we've had a uh, you know, little bit of the controversy ginned up, let's say, with Jerry Jones referring to it as Ezekiel who. I think that's an important part of this story and a, yeah, sort of a meaningful part of this story. we'll get to that in a, in a little bit. Um, so why, why? Is this, as far as I'm concerned, the, the big story of going into the NFL season or perhaps, let's say, the most interesting story going into the season? Um, I, I think it's a little of both because this is a story that could potentially have longer-term ramifications. And and and, and to be fair, it's not so much the, the specific story will have, let's say, waves that echo into the future – but it's a the the fact that this story exists, I think, is indicative of some important longer or medium-term trends that may be you know quite impactful in terms of how the how the league progresses over the next couple of years. And so, you know, why why is this a big story? You know, a lot of the coverage suggests that it's a big story because the the Cowboys are built for the Super Bowl. So an Ezekiel Elliott holdout. May change the dynamics of the race for the for the NFL championship. Uh, small small potatoes to myself, so, you know, minor issue. Does it, be, it maybe because it affects the Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones? So the Cowboys are one of the premier brands of the NFL. Jerry Jones, one of the most high profile owners. Does this situation uh, impact that brand in the long term? Make it uh, a lesser brand, diminish the value of it. Does it uh, harm Jerry Jones' legacy as a? you know, in in terms of what he's shooting for, in terms of being sort of an NFL all-time, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the right word is for an owner, but in terms of being really an impactful individual in terms of the league, does this really, uh, does this change that? Is this about players pursuing more power? You know, sort of the dynamics in terms of the the amount of leverage that the owners and the players have, is this a another sort of, Signal that that balance may be changing over time. Um, I, I think that's that's a little bit more along the lines of why I think this this matters. I think the NFL is still a long ways to go from being similar to the NBA, where the balance of power has truly shifted. Right. I mean, you think about the NBA, that that's a league where we, especially during this last off season, you you don't just see players now moving from team to team to change the, the competitive dynamics of the league, you see groups of players changing, right? And so that's, you know, the NBA has always been a more star-driven league and it seems to be, you know, furthering uh, the distance between itself and some of its competitors. Competitors as in other leagues. Now why I think this is, why I think the Ezekiel Elliott story is big is that this is um, this is an example where Analytics, my favorite topic, meets the CBA, uh, one of my also uh, other favorite sports topics. So this is an example where data and analytics is butting heads with the, with the collective bargaining agreement, the, the rules of the league that are negotiated between the, the players and um, the players and the teams. To start this off, let's a t- little bit of background, okay? So, you know, wh- while I'm saying the Ezekiel Elliott story is the big one going into the, going into the season, it, it doesn't happen in isolation, okay? So the, the last couple of years, a few things have happened, a few trends have occurred, which, you know, are, are largely, you know, are, are part of the motivation for the holdout. And they also put the holdout and some of the, let's say, Jerry Jones's response in, in perspective, any discussion of this has to probably start with the deal that Todd Gurley signed last year okay so Todd Gurley set a new standard for running backs with a four-year what I've got down here is a four-year 57.5 million dollar deal okay so about 14 or 15 million dollars per season now I think prior to that the running back market was probably the top end was probably eight to nine million dollars per year. Right. And and it's, it's from a historical perspective, it's a little bit interesting. Right. And so as someone that grew up in the 1970s, you know, this was an era of the Walter Payton's, the OJ Simpson's, the uh, Earl Campbell's where the, the running backs were truly a dominant force on the field. And, you know, over time, the value of that position seems to have diminished compared to to other positions. So um but you know Todd Gurley, like i are saying, a dramatic move in terms of resetting that market. Some other aspects of the Gurley deal that were interesting is that the Rams didn't actually need to do it at that time. So I believe that the uh, Gurley had two years left and, and let's say under the control of the Rams. Under the control is an interesting phrase and we'll come back to that a little bit later when we talk about this CBA. But the Rams had essentially contractual rights to keep Todd Gurley at at the rookie level pay scale, or and I think in the fifth year you move towards uh, some average of the top, essentially the top paid running backs in the league. The Rams decided to extend the contract and make uh, essentially give Todd Gurley. A big money deal why did the rams do that i've seen some speculation and, and another important name in this story is levy and bell so part of the conjecture that i've seen and it rings true is that the rams decided to extend Gurley, give him money pay him because they were afraid that when levy and bells when levy and bells deal with the then pittsburgh steelers got done that bell was going to set a new standard okay and so NFL contracts tend to be done using some form of comparables analysis. So, the, so the, the logic is, okay, so who's the top running back in the league? They get, let's say, $10 million a year. When the next guy comes due and now he's going to make the claim that he's the top running back in the league, we'll start from that previous deal of $10 million and maybe we'll add a little bit of a bump to it. So maybe a 10% bump. So, you know, the, the concern is that if Levy and Bell goes out and gets a – Let's say a fifteen million dollar deal, then Gurley's folks are going to come in looking for sixteen or you know sixteen and a half. Okay, so it's fair. So in, in some ways the the Rams paid, and a lot of folks said, wow, the Rams paid a lot, but by trying to get ahead of the Levy and Bell deal, it may have been an effort to. Lower their costs, you know. Get him at a. And it sounds funny to say, but get him at a slightly reduced rate. Okay, and and, and these things all matter quite a bit in the, in the modern NFL, where there's this salary cap that really dictates how rosters are are constructed. Okay, so now Levy and Bell. That's an interesting name in this story as well, right? Levy and Bell sat out all of last year, and you might think that. That's going to create enormous problems for him in terms of you know assi- of coming up with the next NFL job, and you know to some extent I, I think you can make the case that it is a little bit mixed. So Bell signed a four-year deal for fifty-two point five million dollars. I've got down here, so a little bit less than Todd Gurley, but I believe the second highest paid, at least at that time, the second highest paid running back in the league. Okay, so a year of rust is not treated as a enormous concern and in fact you know maybe it was treated as a year of rest rather than rust so so I think those are sort of the two the two sort of big moments in setting up the Ezekiel Elliott holdout this summer okay so now what what's happened since then big thing I think is Todd Gurley and potentially Todd Gurley's mysterious health status let's say so there was a recent article in USA Today talking about um Todd Gurley's deal and in fact you know the, the tone of the article is actually talking about how that Gurley deal is already starting to look like a mistake. Now and, and again th- this is this is a tough situation in that Gurley was held out some of the playoffs reduced reduced usage which suggests that there is some type of health problem. Now, you know, he may come back at the start of the season, all gangbusters, again, at the top of the league. We just don't know. But there's an increasing amount of uncertainty in terms of his health and his ability to play going forward. So here's the um, the, the, the quote from the USA uh, the USA Today article was uh, from NFL Media's John Rappaport. The 24-year-old talking about Gurley, days of— being a uh, the straight up every down bell cow are probably over okay that's worrisome when you're the top paid player at your position in the league but but not surprising given the let's say the the typical lifespan of nfl running backs um and again you know an nfl running back also probably played major college football the nature of the position is potentially the problem these are the guys that you know are getting 20 or 30 carries a game each of which ends in the equivalent of some sort of at least a minor you know traffic av- accident so th- these these are folks with a lot of with a lot of wear and tear and you know the risk profile is something that all these teams have got to be incredibly concerned about you know there there are no you know Tom Brady made the news last week with signing a contract extension there are no 40 year old running backs you know it, it's just a different position It's a different position with a different life cycle, with a different, well, let's leave it at that, with a different life cycle that has to be taken into consideration when contract decisions are being made. That's a little bit of background on the running back position and a little bit of speculation or insight into why running back contracts are risky for teams and risky for players. Being a running back is a risky proposition for a player. Okay, so how does this fit into well, – well, let me say this. I think the other key part of this story is the collective bargaining agreement or the CBA. Okay, so what is the CBA? Now, this is something that I, you know, I, I think, in fact, the NFL would prefer that fans didn't know about, didn't think about. But the CBA is – well, it, the CBA is the agreement between the players union and the teams that dictate how those two entities are going to interact. In some ways, I think if you're the NFL, you want to say, well, so this really doesn't have much to do with the fans. This is just an an internal labor matter. So this is just how the essentially the teams, the employers are going to deal with the players, the employees. Okay, but but the reality is the CBA and this is something I think fans should if you're a hardcore fan, you should be aware of the CBA dictates almost anything. The CBA establishes the rules between the teams and the players. Well, the rules between those two entities are going to affect the product on the field. So what does the CBA consider? So the CBA is going to start with everything from the the NFL draft, the collegiate draft, of how players enter the league, free agency, so how players are able to move from team to de- from team to team, what restrictions are going to be placed on that movement. Um, the salary cap. So what is going to be the dollars, sort of how is the pie going to be divvied up between the owners and and the players? Now, part of this, and a big part of this in terms of this story is the rookie wage scale. So we're going back. The Rams did not need to pay Todd Gurley. They still had two more years to enjoy his services at, well, let's say reduced rates. Now, And maybe that's, Maybe that's not the right term. He was still under the rookie wage scale and could be, I think, transitioned or franchise tagged. He didn't have the, the same amount of freedom or control that someone further along in their career has. Okay, So he had potentially less leverage. Now, this is key. This is a big, big part of the story. So when he doesn't have the freedom to move to the highest bidder, he's got a constraint. And this is a constraint that works in the favor of the team with his rights. So you could say that Todd Gurley was a cost-constrained player. So when NFL rookies come into the league for the first few years, they don't have the same bargaining power as veterans, so they are cost-constrained players, okay? And so you think about it, you could you could draw out and let's change positions for a second. You can go out there and draft a quarterback, maybe you can get the top quarterback in the, in the NFL draft, in the draft, and maybe you're paying that guy, you know, five, six million dollars. Or at the top end, if you have to go out there and pay a free agent quarterback, you know, maybe you're paying 20, 25, you know, whatever the market's at these days. So this issue of cost constrainment is really important in a league that has a salary cap. Okay, so so come back to the CBA. So the CBA is negotiated largely between veterans and teams. Okay, and so veterans, I, I think the attitude, and it's a natural one, is, well, the rookies need to earn to be, they need to earn the right to get paid, right? So the CBA is almost you know, it, it's going to have some elements to it that are pushing more dollars away from younger players towards older players. Okay. The CBA also dictates the salary cap. So now we've got this situation where teams are constrained in terms of how much they can pay. Some one class of players is constrained in terms of how much bargaining power they have. Well, you know, those are the two ingredients that essentially change the world now. Right? So, it becomes a matter of not just, let's say going out and getting the best player to position. Cause if I can get a guy who's almost as good, but he doesn't have the bargaining power of the, the, the top guy, maybe the salary ends up being half, right? Or, or in the case of Ezekiel Elliott, I think he's scheduled to make about three, three point something million dollars this year. And he wants $15 million. So you're, you're talking about a factor of five and, and this you know, this sort of disconnect between the market value of a player and what the teams have to pay them. All of that comes from the CBA structure. All of it. Why are we seeing more of this? Um, you know, not necessarily cherry picking, but why are we seeing this with the running backs, the Todd Gurley? Okay. So again, Rams sort of trying to get ahead of the market. Uh, get ahead of the Levy and Bell market. We've got the Levy and Bell situation where he literally held out for an entire year. And now we've got Ezekiel Elliott, who, you know, maybe things will change, but doesn't seem to be a lot of movement towards getting this deal done. So, why is there more of an issue with running backs in this space than with some other players? And this is where we get to analytics. Okay, so running backs, as I mentioned earlier, are one of the more violent positions on the field. It's also a position that is really dictated by things like speed. So basically, it's a position where the life cycle, the lifetime of players tends not to be very long. You know, these guys are either forced out of the league due to injuries or their performance diminishes quickly due to wear and tear. If you start to look at the numbers and, and... I'm not going to claim to have done a lot of detailed analysis on it, but, you know, a lot of other folks have played around with the numbers and we can argue about the the quality of these analyses. Um, but, you know, there, there are some rules of thumb that have been developed. Rules of thumb are an interesting thing as an analyst guy. So I think a lot of times people might think, oh, you know, a heuristic or a rule of thumb is the opposite of analytics. And I'll say absolutely not. It's the starting point for analytics, right? So if someone has sort of made an observation you know based on looking at being an astute uh, observer of the league and they you know for example make an observation that seems like NFLs fall off a cliff in terms of performance when they reach age 28 so I've seen the rule of 27 out there you might say well no you you can't just make that statement you've got to run the numbers And, and that that's absolutely true but where's that initial observation coming from it's coming from expertise in terms of people actually looking at this stuff. So in some ways, a heuristic, uh, a rule of thumb, is probably the starting point of a hypothesis for then going to the data and seeing how things turn out. Okay, so the, the, the rule of 28 or 27 is an, is an absolutely real thing, that you know NFL players or running backs tend to, their performance tends to diminish greatly after about that eight. Now, interestingly, if an NFL team can control can control an NFL player's ability to move, you know, that the initial team gets to sign them for a rookie deal and then a couple of options and a transition or a franchise tag. If a team can control a player for five years and a player starts when they're at 22 and performance tends to drop off at 27... Well, you can start to see why the NFL players have, or the NFL running backs have, some really legitimate concerns in terms of how they bargain with uh, with their employers. Okay. Other rules of thumb for the for NFL running backs are 1,800 career carries. So again, you know this is an interesting thing, and I haven't checked the I haven't checked the data. But, if the belief is and other but other people have looked at this data that there does seem to be a breakpoint where, after about eighteen hundred car- carries performance again diminishes. That's a career level statistic. The other one that I've seen is the rule of three seventy and i i don't I don't know offhand if this is if an n f l running back has three hundred and seventy carries or if it's three hundred and seventy touches, but the three hundred and seventy um the the rule of three seventy or the eighteen hundred carries. These both are basically suggesting a relationship between usage and performance, okay? And so this is, this is where analytics can really be helpful, is trying to understand the relationship between how that player has been used in the past and how valuable they're going to be in the future. These things, you know, for, for a run, let's say a running back like Ezekiel Elliott, Let's say he's getting 300, 350 carries for, you know, per year. You multiply 300, 350, you multiply 350 by five for five seasons where the teams really have control over the player. That's 1,750 carries. So you're getting very close to that 1,800 carry uh, limit. If he is a workhorse for the team, and he is truly, right? he's He's the dominant force on that offense. So if he's getting heavy usage and he's getting 370 carries or touches in a season, then think about what the teams are asking them to do. They're they're asking the players to absorb a level of workload that is highly correlated with a decrease in long-term performance while the player is still cost-controlled. So this, you know, all these things end up being related. So, you know, what happened after... What happened with uh, Gurley and Levy and Bell? It looks like the Gurley deal is a little bit of, uh, and again, you know, this is speculation, and sort of we don't we don't have adequate information to really say this, but it appears like the Gurley deal may have been a mistake, that the player has sort of diminished value going forward. With Levy and Bell, it appears that the way the league reacted to the holdout was that he just got a year of rest. OK, so now if you're Ezekiel Elliott and you're looking at this situation, you know, the, the Cowboys in some ways are looking at, you know, winning a Super Bowl this year or next year. Right. They've got a relatively short time horizon. If you're Elliott, you've got a longer term horizon. Right. You've been in the league three years. Maybe you want to play five more years. And so how do you maximize your earnings over those five years? Well, you know, based on what we've seen, is a holdout really that big of a potential problem? not getting paid your three or three and a half million dollars this year in order to advance the clock forward, getting closer to being an unconstrained player. It's an an absolutely fascinating question for the the analytics folks out there. And, And I'm not saying that people are actually running the numbers at this point, but if I'm Ezekiel Elliott's representation, it's kind of what I'm looking at. And, you know, maybe they're doing it kind of you know really just kind of based on rules of thumb or sort of the expert wisdom but it does seem to be set up now where these running backs have got to make some very hard decisions in terms of what is the you know what is the way to maximize career earnings and it really isn't clear whether the the best thing to do is to play absorb a lot of car- carries at a cost controlled contract Or if it is to sit out and hold out or exercise all the leverage you can in order to really try and get paid as quickly as possible. And so from my perspective, that's why this is such an enormous story, is that this is truly the, let's say, the legal structure of the league in terms of the rules, the CBA, where it's meeting analytics. And in some ways, you're finding, let's say, holes in the deal. So the, the CBA may be great for quarterbacks. The, the rookie wage scale may be great for quarterbacks. You know, If these guys take a couple of years to mature and they've got relatively long careers, they can play into their 30s or you know, in, up, to, up to 40, maybe a little bit beyond, then these rookie deals may be appropriate. If you're a running back and your likely career length is the same or shorter uh, you know, shorter for many, but even if you're an elite talent, your expected lifetime in terms of years played may be about the same as the amount of time where you're a cost controlled player. Well, this puts you in a really difficult situation and really kind of pushes you to look for avenues to extend the career in order to get paid. To, well, and, and let, let's make, let me make this point perfectly clear looking for ways to extend the career without absorbing additional contact or abuse, so ways to extend the career while maintaining health that are going to sort of fly in the face of, you know, kind of what the fans want to see. The fans want Ezekiel Elliott to play, but his incentives may be a little bit different. Where, where does that leave us? Obviously, you know, I'm sitting here as a professor and you know, I'm not going to claim to have all the inside details. It seems to me that, and I have no indication that this is the direction it's going to go, but it seems to me that, you know, one possible solution is to, well, and let's say this, you know, are we going to see more of this in the future? Absolutely. I think you are very likely to see in the future players that perform in very high impact positions with relatively shorter career life cycles having to make these kind of decisions to do things like hold out or minimize their wear and tear in order to get to the point where they can get paid at market value so as more of those decisions are going to be made the teams are going to have to respond to that the response can be different things for example and and you've seen some of this right you you see you know teams with elite running backs invest relatively high picks in the next guy okay So part of this may be that, you know, for some positions, there's going to be more interest in drafting those players because the the possibility of a holdout or an injury both dictate being, you know, having a need to continually reload. I think more interestingly, and like I said, I have no indication this is happening, but I think it's worth talking about, is the idea that the CBA becomes less of a one-size-fits-all in terms of rookie contracts. And so the the thought is maybe the collective bargaining agreement, maybe the structure of rookie deals and free agency should really be based on the position that a player pay, plays. And so for a quarterback who can, you know, if they have the level of talent and the level of productivity, can easily have a 10- or 15-year career. And, and again, I'm not... Let's notice that I I put the caveat there that has the necessary talent and performance, you know, because long-term careers are always going to be rare in the NFL. But there's a differentiating factor in that, you know, for running backs in these high-impact positions, it's not even possible. I mean, you can be an ultra-elite talent and your career is still going to be relatively shorter, and, and so th- the thought is that you know, maybe there's a movement towards making the CBA—and again, this is my thought—making the CBA more position-based. You know, So what should the rookies, rookie deals be for running backs in terms of how long they're cost-constrained versus quarterbacks? Uh, you think of it as almost applying actuarial principles on a position-by-position level. Okay. I think that actually might be the fair and equitable solution, you know, giving players an opportunity to enjoy some part of their careers as a, with the freedom to get paid at the market value. I'll also fully acknowledge that, you know, nothing is free on this. Right. And so, if you were to move into that position by position kind of contract structure, you can imagine all sorts of complaints. You know, why is this guy getting paid earlier than, than than myself? Let's say if I'm at a different, you know, let's say I'm in a position where the careers tend to be longer. I mean, so there are legitimate challenges to moving towards type of some type that type of a system, but you know, what, what's the alternative? And, you know, I think you know the the other alternative is that maybe we just start to see a reduction in time as cost control players, right? Maybe rookie years become one to two years in length, and maybe free agency becomes a very real possibility at at year three. You know the, these things are all these things are all possible, and I suspect that that's the direction we're gonna we're gonna start to see the league move, or we're gonna start to see the players uh, move towards. If if not on this round of negotiations you know, potentially sometime in the future, okay? So, as always, appreciate everyone who is uh, tuning in and look forward to talking to you next time.